The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. As you just heard, we're continuing our trek and our journey through Mark chapter 7. And as we just turn our attention to these handful of verses, verses 14 through 23, Jesus is going to build out a huge, huge category in the Scriptures, this, this idea of the nature of the heart of man. And really, now that Jesus is done talking with the religious leaders, we see here in verse 14, he's going to transition into a conversation with the crowd around him. What we're going to see is that Jesus is going to address the heart of the problem, which is the problem of the heart. And so as we turn our attention to these things, we're going to hit pause, we're going to pray, we're going to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to come and to infuse um, the preaching and the teaching of his word, and then we'll dive in to our text this morning. So why don't you guys join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we have before us your very words concerning the true nature of the heart of humanity, the heart of every man, woman, and child that's ever lived, is living, and will live. Lord Jesus, as we turn our minds to these things, I pray that you would delight to infuse the preaching and teaching of your word with your spirit, the spirit of Christ. That you would cause our hearts to burn within us as you unpack the very truths of these realities that we are going to consider now before us. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill me, use me to proclaim the bad news so that we can see the good news of your grace. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would sharpen dull minds, you would attune ears that are plugged, hearts that are hard towards the things of Christ. Would you, Holy Spirit, now apply your softening work to the hearts, all so that we can leave here today saying again, did not our hearts burn within us as the Holy Spirit empowered the preaching of the word? Magnify your great name, Lord Jesus, and we pray all these things in the powerful, resurrected name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Consider this question. What is wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Several years ago, a British newspaper editor posed this very question. And seeking answers... To the question, what's wrong with the world, this editor reached out to various authors of his day, and one such author was a man named G.K. Chesterton. In response to this question, Chesterton was reported to write this, Dear Sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World, I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. 
Now, whether or not you agree with Chesterton, it's hard to deny the power of his response. There is a striking shock value to that just little two-word response in regard to the question, what's wrong with the world? And he just says, listen, I am. I am the source of what's wrong with the world. We just got to admit there's just something striking, something very shocking to that short and to-the-point response. And the reason why I think there's a striking shock value to it is because within the core of every man, every woman, every child, there is something in us that strives to deny Chesterton's response. If we were to ask 10 different people to give us a response to the question, what's wrong with the world. My guess is that the various replies that we would receive, they would look less like Chesterton and they would sound more like this. Dear sir, regarding your article, what's wrong with the world? They are. Sincerely, everybody. You see, when we think about the question, what is really wrong with the world, when we ask, why can the world be such a miserable place, when we want to know why there is so much strife between nations, strife between races, strife between tribes, strife between classes, when we struggle to understand why is it that my relationships tend to fray, why is it that my relationships tend to fall apart, the one response the Bible gives us is this answer, the answer to the question, but it's the one response we don't want to hear. And it's this response, I am. I'm why there's strife in the world. I am why my relationships tend to fray and fall apart. I am what's wrong with the world today. And it's as we turn our attention to Mark chapter 7, Jesus is going to dial in on this very truth. He's going to turn from his interaction with the religious leaders. He's sat there and he's talked with them. They're making their case, their argument, that the reason why we might do bad things, if I were speaking like one of the Pharisees and the scribes that we saw last week, they might say this, the reason why I am doing these bad things or the reason why I might be tempted to go here or the reason why my relationships fray and fall apart or the reason why there's this spiritual contamination in my world right now, it's not me, it's the stuff out here. The problem is these things out here. And Jesus has just sat down and exposed to them, guys, what you're trying to do is make yourself right with God, earn the grace of God by all these external things you are attempting to do. And now that he's done exposing their false hope of salvation by just doing things in order to earn the grace of God, now Jesus is going to turn to the crowd around him. He's calling people to himself once again, Mark says in verse 14. And if you remember from last week, again, the reason why the Pharisees and the scribes were receiving this kind of conversation from Jesus is because Mark tells us that they have left the commands of God and they were holding to the traditions of men. That in their pursuit of holiness, in their pursuit of right standing with God, these religious leaders were convinced that the spiritual contamination that separates 
a person from God, for them specifically, it came from touching things that were declared spiritually unclean. And last week, it was especially revolving around the issue of food. So for the religious leader in Jesus' day, they would say, yes, there is this category of something called spiritual contamination, something that can make me unholy, something that can make me unclean, something that can make me unacceptable to God. But for them, it was not the issue of something within. It was the issue of all these things out here. And so when it came to issues of food and the dietary laws and the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament, what they said was there are certain things that are spiritually unclean, and if you touch these spiritually unclean things, that uncleanness can transfer itself to you, and this is what makes you unclean before God. And so the religious leaders are watching Jesus' disciples, if you remember. Here they are touching all of these spiritually unclean things the disciples were. They were eating them, and so now the spiritual uncleanness was going into them, and so they're getting all riled up looking at the situation, saying, Jesus Don't you care about this reality of spiritual uncleanness? And now Jesus is going to turn the corner, look at the crowd and say, guys, we need to dial in on the true source of what spiritual contamination actually looks like. See, in thinking in this way, that spiritual contamination comes from all these things out there somewhere, the religious leaders failed to see that spiritual contamination, the deep, deep stain of the soul which separates man from God, it's not found somewhere out there. Rather, the most deadly spiritual contamination is actually found within us in the heart. And so as Jesus turns to the crowd the first truth we're going to see is that the source of your spiritual contamination is not outside in. It's not outside in. See this again, starting in verse 14. Mark tells us, Jesus called the people to him again, and he said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. He's telling them to wake up. He's telling them to pay attention. A big category is coming. A thing that you don't want to fall asleep at. I remember when I was in the military, whenever I'd have to go to a certain military school for to, to, to get my training to become a sergeant, an E-5 in the United States Army. I had one military instructor, whenever he was just lecturing and giving us classes, whenever a, an answer he was about to give to a question he knew was on the test, he would start doing this. He would start stomping and clapping, and he would just keep talking. So he wouldn't say, hey, this is the answer to one of the questions on the test, but he would just be talking and lecturing and talking and lecturing, then all of a sudden he would just start doing this, and it was like, okay, then you start really writing stuff down, right? Because this is about to be on the test. Jesus is doing the same thing here. He's sitting here talking, and he's like... You don't want to fall asleep on this one. See it there, verse 14? Hear me, all of you. You've got to understand this is a category that must be built in your thinking when it comes to understanding the things of God and the way salvation works and this understanding of what is the true source of spiritual contamination, the thing that separates you from God. Pay attention. He rolls into verse 15. Here's what you need to understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him 
but the things that come out of a person, this is what defiles him. See, spiritual contamination is the idea behind that word defiled in verse 15. So when Jesus talks about a person who is defiled, he's just simply talking about someone who's spiritually unclean before God, someone who's spiritually contaminated in the eyes of God. Again, in saying these things, Jesus is just simply addressing the crucial misunderstanding which says the source of your spiritual contamination before God is outside in. And in direct contrast to the Pharisees and scribes, Jesus boldly declares that people are not defiled by what goes into their body. Mark continues, verse 17, he tells us that the disciples are having a hard time grasping this, and we don't want to you know, drill down on them and, you know, go like, man, you know, if I was there, I wouldn't be in this way. And here they go asking the question again. I mean, you got to understand the ebb and flow of religious thought for that day and for the years and years and years established in the law of God and the traditions of men who were trying to protect law of God, all these things. It was just this, the common language was, yes, you could be spiritually contaminated for God, but it comes from all that outside stuff out there. So if you just avoid the outside stuff, you won't be spiritually contaminated. Jesus was revolutionary in coming along and saying, guys, I know what you've been taught for years and years and years, week in and week out, synagogue, morning, night, all these things. I know what's been said, but listen, it is categorically not true. You cannot be defiled by what goes into your body. So it prompts the disciples to ask the question about the parable, Mark says. The crowd's dispersed. And so Mark tells us that Jesus says to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see, he's going to repeat himself, that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? And the question is, well, why? Why is this the case? And he gives the answer. It's because this food in this case, it enters not his heart but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus, he declared all foods clean. In other words, when Jesus is teaching this, when Jesus is saying this, he's like saying, listen, to assume that something like food or drink is the source of what makes you spiritually unclean before God, that's just a flat-out miss the mark. Touching certain foods cannot make you a sinner any more than abstaining from certain foods can make you holy, is what he's teaching them. He's like, listen, food is eaten. It goes into the mouth. It's digested. It goes down into the stomach, and then it is expelled. It all goes in one end and out the other, literally. If you look at the little end note at the end of that verse, you go down, there's three words that most Bibles don't put in there. Jesus is literally saying, listen, when it enters the heart, and into, but what happens is it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. The three words that are left off is, and it goes into the latrine. He's literally saying it goes in, it goes out. It has nothing to do with your heart. So if you're banking on food as being the source of your spiritual contamination, you're not going deep enough. You're missing the source issue here. To believe this to be true is to miss where your spiritual contamination actually comes from. You see, the religious leaders failed to understand that sin begins in the heart. 
sin always proceeds from within. In his response to the disciples, Jesus is stating as plain as day the source of your spiritual contamination. It is not somewhere out there. It is not. Your corruption, your impurity, your defilement, it is not external. It is internal. And as we said earlier, it is this singular reality... That our corruption, our impurity, our defilement before God, it's not an external thing. It is born within us. It's like the Trojan horse. It's just, it's just hidden inside of us. It's the thing that corrupts us. It's the thing that makes us unholy, unclean, unacceptable before God. But it's this singular reality which so many people refuse to see and believe. We want so badly for the source of our defilement to be outside of us. We want to believe we are better than we really are. We want to believe that if we do have problems, it's not really my fault. It's the stuff out there that has contaminated me. It's their fault. It's that thing. It's that person. They're the one to blame for these issues in my life. My environment, it wasn't the greatest. My education, it was poor. My examples were crummy. These are the reasons for the way I am. And so from politics to the playground, from Wall Street to Walmart, the pervasive belief that permeates our world is that our imperfections, our faults, and our failures, they are just ultimately the fault of someone or something else out there. They're to blame. But in his response to the disciples, Jesus emphatically says, not true. It's not true. The source of your spiritual contamination, he says in verse 20, is actually inside out. See, we see this in verse 20 when Jesus rounds the corner. And he says to the crowd around him, including the disciples, listen, you've got to understand this. It's what comes out of a person. This is what defiles him. For from within, and here's the phrase, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts. And evil thoughts are sort of like this header describing all of the evil actions and the evil thoughts that flow from the heart of man. Such evil thoughts leading to evil actions like sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, that's the desiring of things that aren't yours, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness all of these things come from within jesus says these are what defile a person you see the basic problem with fallen humanity it's not in what we do it's in who we are who we are by nature apart from the cleansing saving ransoming redeeming blood of jesus christ Every human heart has the root of every human sin in it. 
It's the heart of man, the very center of his being, that, that place we use to describe the way a man thinks, the way a woman believes, where we crunch the issues of worldview and value. It's just this, this place where it's just the sole center of his being. What we say is this, and what Jesus, is because this is what Jesus is saying, is that it's the heart of man, the very center of his being, which is corrupted. And because it is corrupted, it pumps sin through every area of life. Apart from the cleansing work of Jesus, the heart is a factory of evil. It's a cesspool of sinful contamination which, left to itself, will pollute all our outward acts and even our inward thoughts. See, this is what Jesus is driving at when he says, Out of the heart of man come these things. Out of the heart of man come, insert list, evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, and the list goes on. And saying this, Jesus, I just said earlier, he's, it's revolutionary, but the thing is, it's not out of step with the rest of Scripture. See, again, it goes back to what we saw last week. The Pharisees and the scribes were clinging to the traditions of men. They were letting go of the Word of God. And in doing so, they had failed to remember that the rest of Scripture actually just lines up with the words of Christ here in Mark chapter 7. Jesus, in saying that out of the heart of man comes this cesspool of sinful contamination, he's just reminding us of Jeremiah 17.9, that the heart is deceitful above all things. The heart is desperately sick. He's reminding us that left to himself, the wickedness of man will be great for every intention of the thoughts of his heart will be only evil continually. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. You see, the tragedy of the Pharisees and the scribes was that they did not know themselves. They didn't know themselves. They had never really asked God to search their hearts to see if there was any offensive way within them. They did not realize that at worst, their environment was simply triggering their sinful hearts. It was never the root cause of their sin. Ultimately, they had failed to see that no amount of not touching, that no amount of hand washing could ever protect them from the power of sin in their hearts. It just couldn't be done. You see, in the end, when you step back and you survey these verses, Mark 7, 14 through 23, really it all just boils down to this. The heart of the problem is the problem of your heart. The point of Jesus calling all of you to hear and understand is that he wants you to grasp the reality that no matter what you do, no matter how far you run, no matter what good you can claim before God, none of this has the power to cleanse your soul. Like if we could just somehow just pack it up and say, man, listen, I'm just running to the most farthest reaches of the universe and I'm going to get away from all of these things, all of this bad stuff, all of this 
you know, these relationships that keep making me angry or all of these temptations that are causing me to sin against God. I'm just going to run to the farthest corner of the universe. I'm going to lock myself in a box, and it's just going to be me, myself, and I hanging out there. The problem is you just carry the problem right with you. Because it's back in that other place, it was this environment that you're in. All it was doing was just triggering the realities of what was hidden in the dark corners of your heart. And so if you could run to the farthest corner of the universe and shove yourself in a box and hide yourself there, the thing is, the problem is still residing within you, your heart. Sinful, warped, and bent against God and His ways. None of this has the power to cleanse your soul. We can't do enough good things to cleanse our soul. We can't avoid enough things in the world to cleanse our soul. We can't be the best daddy, the best mommy in the world to cleanse our soul. We can't save enough money to cleanse our soul. We can't go to church enough to cleanse our soul. We can't read our Bible enough to cleanse our soul. We can't pray enough to cleanse our soul. We can't talk about Jesus. None of these things cleanse the soul. We need something that has the power to do this. And so when Jesus delivers his bottom line summary in verse 23 that all of these things come from within, he is issuing a call for you to know yourself truly, to see yourself as you really are. He is speaking to all humanity here. Right? So the temptation here is to look at like maybe verses 20 and 23, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Right, just recently, I've just been watching on Amazon Prime, like an old show called Forensic Files. And you just, it's just show after show of all these horrendous murders that have been committed and horrendous crimes committed and how the forensic world of science is like, I'm just sitting here watching this, just watching this list on play, man, evil thoughts, sexual immorality is usually involved, adultery, a man cheating on his wife, murder, all these sorts of things, coveting, wickedness, they're just on display here. And the temptation is to look at a show like that and go, man, those guys are screwed up. Man, they really should be on forensic files, man, they've got some issues. But when Jesus comes along and he says what he says, our temptation is go, that's right, Jesus, go after them. Look at how awful they are in the external realities of their life. But Jesus is not saying this is only true of those few wicked people that ought to be in prison out there for the nasty stuff they've done. It's for the sweet old lady that lives right next door to you who's never said a wicked word in her life to you. It's for your co-worker who just busts his chops at work every single day, loves his wife, serves his family faithfully. It's for the good guy, the good girl. It's for your little child. Because the reality is our hearts come into this world bent, twisted, warped, defiled, contaminated by the cesspool of sin. So whether it's high or low, whether it's rich or poor, old or young, from CEO to entry-level clerk, PhD to GED, all of us have by nature the kind of heart that Jesus is here describing. Now it's true, like I just said, these evil thoughts and actions may lie dormant all of our lives. We fight to keep these realities of our heart from coming out. We fear the consequence. That's part of my testimony Growing up in church, 
I would have called myself a Christian. I did call myself a Christian. The externals of my life were phenomenal. What are the things that all your buddies are doing in high school? They're smoking, they're drinking, they're having sex. Those are all the things I didn't do. And I was proud of it. But if you could lay open my heart, man, it was a cesspool of sinful contamination because basically all the stuff that they had just thrown off all hindrances and they were doing externally, I was role-playing and it was just working itself out in my mind. And so if my high school buddy who was drinking, smoking, having sex and doing all these things, if he were to die and I were to die in a car wreck with him, we would both stand before God and God would say, listen, your heart led you to do these things externally. Jonathan, your heart did not lead you to do these things externally, but the bottom line common denominator is your heart was warped, bent, twisted away from me, and the redeeming blood of Christ had not cleansed you. Depart from me, Matthew 7 language. So these actions and these evil thoughts, man, they might be kept down by the fear of consequences. That's what it was for me. I was so scared of my mom finding out if I were to go off and do these sorts of things. And so it was the holy fear of mama's wrath coming down on me. That kept me straight, man. And I thank God for that. That was God's grace, but it wasn't saving grace. I could have stood before God and said, but God, look, man, I didn't do all these things. And he'd be like, well, why did you do it? The motivation of my heart wasn't to please God. The motivation of my heart was so that my mama wouldn't get upset. It looked great on the outside, but the reality is my heart was still far from God. Again, it was last week. I was honoring God with my lips, but my heart was far from Him because my motivation wasn't pleasing God. The motivation was not upsetting Mama. So these evil thoughts and actions, they might be kept down by the fear of consequences. They might be kept down by the restraint of public opinion, the fear of discovery, or the desire to be thought respectable in the workplace or to the neighbor or whatever it is. But no matter how you dice it, the resounding chorus of Scripture is that every man, every woman, every child has within them the root of every sin. And until we see ourselves in this text, until we see that this description of the human heart is true of me, we will always assume ourselves to be better than we really are. See, that's the problem right now. And I've been praying about this this past week. I confessed it this morning before prayer. I confessed it to the elders. I've confessed it to many of you who I ask for you to pray for me as I study these things. Right now, my biggest fear is that we come this morning and there are some of us who don't know Jesus Christ in a saving way. We hear Jesus say what comes out of a person is what defiles him. All these things come from within. This is the nature of the heart of man apart from the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, on, down, down. And we look at this and we go, yeah, I hope that guy over there gets his act, act together and gets his stuff fixed. And we just go walking out the door not realizing that my heart is just as evil and wicked and bent and twisted as dude next to me. Like I can't reach within you and make, yourself, make you see yourself in this text. But the idea is this, is that the word of God right now, just like we all looked in the mirror this morning and we put a little product in our hair and we were combing ourselves and brushing, making sure we all look good, we looked into a mirror so that we could see a right reflection of who we are so we didn't go walking out with some like alfalfa cow lick or a piece of parsley stuck in our teeth. We wanted a right reflection of who we are because we don't tend to see ourselves rightly. We need a mirror to reflect back to us to go, oh, man, I do have a cowlick, and I do have some parsley in my teeth. 
the Word of God is the same thing. You're meant to hold it up as a, as a mirror. So as you look into it, you look back and go, oh, man, like my heart's just not as clean as I really thought it was. It really is bent and twisted away from God. And no matter how pristine and whitewashed the externals of my life are, the reality of my heart, it is hell-bent against Christ. I can't make you see this, but I, my prayer is that you do see this this morning. Because it's only until you have a right reflection, a right diagnosis of what truly pollutes your heart, that you will then turn and seek the only prescription that can actually cleanse your heart. And so I wonder, as I ask this question to you this morning, when the Lord examines your heart, what does he see? When the Lord examines your heart, what does he see? I can't answer that question for you. You can only answer that question. Does he see a cesspool of sinful contamination? Or does he see a heart that's been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb? And thinking on these verses this week, as I was reminded of a phrase my old track coach used to say, um, and I'm going to say this phrase, and if it come, it's not meant to be offensive, maybe it might be offensive to some, and if so, please come and find me, and I will, I will apologize. Two, the phrase is, it was, remember he was saying this to a bunch of high school boys, so as a high school boy, the phrase was hilarious, I've just got to admit that to you. Um, but the third is this, that um, the phrase is a phenomenal word picture that just describes the reality of what Jesus is dry, driving at here. So whenever my old track coach would just see boys acting a fool and just being naughty and just doing things they shouldn't have been doing, he'd always come along and say this, you can only polish a dog turd so much. That's his phrase. You can only polish a dog turd so much. Like I said, as a high school boy, you're like, yeah, that's funny, man. But what he was getting at was this. If the very nature of what you're trying to clean up is just filthy, polluted, and nasty through and through, it won't matter how much scrubbing you do on the outside, you're not adjusting the very core and nature of what it is. As so a high school boy, if you're in the locker room goofing off and just being nasty and telling dirty jokes and doing all of these things, like, oh, no, man, I'm just telling. He's like, no, no, man, insert phrase. He's like, it doesn't matter what you're trying to do. The very thing by itself in the nature of what it is at its very core, it's just not redeemable in this, in this sense. So you can polish it up a little bit and you can present it before others, but the thing is, it still is what it is. And really, this phrase, you can only polish a dog turd so much, you're, that nature of what you're trying to clean up is just filthy, polluted, and nasty through and through. This is just what Jesus is driving at as he's describing the nature of the human heart. The cesspool of sinful contamination that pollutes the heart of man does not need polish. What it needs is total and absolute transformation from the inside out. And so the question is, from whence this source? And the answer is the blood of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus didn't go to the cross and die on the cross and shed his blood on the cross and go into the ground and resurrect three days later for a little bit of self-help external polish when we find ourselves in this place. Jesus Christ, the King, dying on the cross, shedding his blood for sinners, resurrecting from the grave, is the power of that cleanses hearts from within. 
It's the reason why sinners can be made right with God. It's the reason why cesspool-contaminated hearts can now have entrance into the kingdom of God. It's the reason why those who are once dead can now be made alive. It's what Paul picks up on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, where he comes with the exact same kind of question saying, listen, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So he's picking up on exact same language that Jesus is doing here in Mark. Mark's gospel drives after the realities of the kingdom of God. Who is allowed entrance into the kingdom of God? Who gets to be a citizen Having fellowship with Christ the King in the kingdom of God. Mark's gospel over and over is saying again, it's those who repent and believe. It's those whose hearts have been washed clean by the blood of the King. And so here in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul grabs that idea and says, Do you not know that the unrighteous, those who have sinful, sin-stained, contaminated souls before God, they will not inherit the kingdom? of God. And so the question is, and Paul, can you help us out, please? Who are these unrighteous that will not inherit the kingdom of God? And he goes right to a list, just like Jesus goes right to a list. This is what Paul says. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, these are those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you were to close it right there, you'd be like, man, that's bad, bad, bad news. Because he just basically laid out a definition of all of humanity. It'd be like Paul going, guess who doesn't get an in? Everybody, don't have any good news for you, see ya. But listen to the words of grace. Listen to these words of grace. Such were some of you, he says to the Corinthians. Such were some of you. And the question is, how on earth does a cesspool, sin-contaminated heart that deserves no entrance into the kingdom of God, get to the place where we can say, that's what you used to be. But that's not the status of your heart anymore. And the answer is found in verse 11, when Paul says, such were some of you, but you were, notice the language, washed You were sanctified, that is, you were made holy. You were justified, that is, you were made right. And here it is, because of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And so the question you've got to ask is this, has my soul been washed by the blood of the king? Have I come to that place where I go, man, I see myself in this text and there is just no two ways about it. This is me. Don't leave today. Just sort of hoping maybe that little nudge that you're feeling will just sort of dissipate. Don't leave today going, ah, is this really that important? It's of eternal importance. 
you're going to stand before God one day either with a cleansed soul or with a sin-stained soul. But know this morning that you can walk out of here today with a once sin-stained heart that has been cleansed, washed, sanctified, justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God help us.